God's image in his likeness to reveal his glory to the world. Our first parents' sin, though, marred that image, and the distortion that they caused to the image of God has been passed down to all of us. God now has called us out of the world. We are the called out ones, um, put us into Christ's kingdom, and he's sanctifying us, making us into the very image of our king, Jesus. And now he sent us back into the world as ambassadors of that kingdom. Our, um, our embassy, the, our home in this foreign land, is the church, not this building, but this body. So we are the embassy for ourselves. The land we live in is hostile. It doesn't like our king. It doesn't like his kingdom. We're to recognize that hostility without compromising. So we're to engage in the same relationships that the world engages in, but in those relationships, we are to reflect God's character so that they might see his glory. As he sanctifies us, we bring him glory. At the resurrection, he's going to perfect us. That means no more sin. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on where you are. Augustine describes it this way. Before the fall, man was able not to sin. After the fall, man was unable not to sin. But that before the fall, we were able not to sin. Now we are unable not to sin. Upon regeneration, though, we are given the power so that we are again able not to sin. At our glorification in the resurrection, we will be unable to sin. So what do you imagine that's going to look like? Do you ever think about what it's going to be like when there are no temptations, when there is no possibility of sinning. Anybody give that any thought? What's it look like? It is hard to comprehend. Everything we know is tainted by sin. Even our knowledge of God is tainted by sin. Yeah, no, so we get to celebrate everybody's successes, no jealousy in that. Are you talking about me? That's, no, no paranoia. It, yeah. Everything will be filled with joy. As an educator and, and one who loves to learn, having graduated 32nd grade, I, I look at every day we're going to get to know the Savior better. We'll never understand God completely. So 100,000 years from now, we're going to learn something else about him and say, oh, man, I thought I knew you yesterday. Today, you are even more awesome than I could imagine yesterday. And the next day, it'll be the same thing. So let me ask this hypothetical. What if God, because I mean, you know the way you are now, what if God allowed you just one sin? 
or maybe he turns something that, that is sin now into maybe something that he doesn't call sin anymore. Hope you catch I mean, We want to think nothing. But did anything pop in your mind? Something that I like so much that I'm not, I, I'd like to not have to give that up. The question is, what can we do about that? Well, the answer is in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to um, look from uh, verse 17 to the end of Ephesians 4 this evening. We started with looking at uh, the family, looked at marital relations and how God sanctifies that, undoing the effects of the fall in Genesis 3. We looked at, at uh, parent-child relationships. We looked at the context in which we do all that. We, we are at spiritual war and we do all these things to picture God to the world to image him to the world in Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 17 God really separates us he, he, Paul describes how there's a fence around us there, there are things that are the world and things that are us so if somebody read for us um, out loud Ephesians 4 17 to 19 please Gentiles. I thought Paul said there is no Jew, Gentile. There, there is no, there is no separation. Yeah. So the Gentiles are those outside of Christ. That is separated from God still because they're not part of the bride and that's us now, it, you, you can push your eschatology all the way back to you know the, the, from the end times to now and decide you know what 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 is us you know are we are we Israel are we you know, that's out of the that, that's not even a question right now the answer is that we are the church we are the bride. So what, however you understand how we got here and what that's going to look like later, that is what we are. And Paul says, what about this? They're the people who are separated from God. What's he say to do? Do everything they do, right? No. <laughs> what does he say? Yeah, don't walk as they do. Don't, don't do what they do. Over in Colossians 3, flip over a couple pages, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, let me read this for you real quickly. And I would commit Colossians 3 to you. If, if you like what we're studying in Ephesians, you'll love this stuff in Colossians. In Colossians 3, the first few verses, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then that's followed by putting off the old man, putting on the new man, and then he gets back to the family relationships that we covered in Ephesians a few weeks ago. Paul's always making this argument that all of these things that we're doing as the church, all these things we're doing as God's people are pictured in various ways to the world, and, and one of those ways is the family. So adoption, picture of God's plan for us because he's adopted us into his family. We were born into the family of the deceiver, and God has adopted us. So adoption is a picture of what God does for each of us. It's a beautiful picture. Husband and wives, pictures God. Parents and children, pictures God. All these things picture God. Paul's always arguing this same thing. Back in Romans 1, somebody read 18, Romans 1, 18 to 24 for us. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And then it goes on and on, right? There's a comma there, and the sentence continues. But basically, then what you get is the New York Times reporting or the CNN report of what is going on in the world today. And you just read down through here. It's like, wait a minute. This sounds very familiar. This is the exact stuff that we have going on today. Paul says, don't live like that the church is fenced off from the world because we're an embassy within the world so Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 somebody read verses 20 to 24 for us from Ephesians 4 Thank you. So he says, don't live like those that are separated from God. Do live like Christians. Why is that? Where, what did we learn back in verse 20? What was the big lesson we learned, according to Paul? Yeah. In fact, what we were taught was, Christ. We're taught Christ. Who were we taught Christ by? Christ. Except he's at the right hand of the Father now. 
So how's that working out? How's, how's Christ teach us? The Spirit and the Word. And who, ha- who, has, who has the privilege of those things? The church. So God has given us the church so that, not only so that we can be part of the embassy, but so that we can grow as the ambassadors for Christ, right? So it's not just to keep us sheltered from the world, it's to help us. It's to help us live like Christians live. In 1 John 5, John makes the argument that we have eternal life. It's already ours, right? So that, so we, it's not something we get in the end, though it is something we get in the end. It is something that we actually have had since the day we were regenerated by God. Since he called us from death to life, we have life because we're connected to life himself, Jesus Christ. So if you have eternal life, Paul says, live like it. Don't live like you're dying. Don't live like the world. Don't live like that. Live like you already have eternal life. And then in, um, somebody read for us just real quickly. We're not going to camp out here, but just for completeness, read Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Thank you. So Paul's made the argument that we should not be living like the Gentiles, should not be living like those who are separated from God. Instead, we should be living like Christians. And just in case First Baptist Church Fisherville is as dull as First Baptist Church Ephesus, he says, well, let me just explain this for you. And so he lays out four different situations. Don't and do in each of these four what you don't do here's what you do do right because they're slow on the uptake why because Genesis 3 my answer always goes back to Genesis 3 that's where it all went wrong so what would it look like if, if we're called to do this and we already have eternal life and we're already in a position where we can actually not sin when we're tempted, God said that he's given us everything we need to avoid it, and yet we still do it. What, what would it look like if we didn't? What, what if we 
rehearsed the perfection now that we're going to experience then. What's that do for you? If you start practicing living righteously, practicing living perfectly. Humans would flourish, starting with you, the church, the world. Everyone would flourish. Why? Because this is the only way that makes sense. To live as God has created us to live is the only thing that makes sense. It's insane to sin. And we're all crazy. Because we do it. We, we can not sin, and yet we still choose to sin. So, if we say, well, we're going to practice that, aren't we really being hypocritical? If we like, well, I'm, today I'm going to pretend as if I have been perfected already. I'm going to try living like that today. Isn't that sort of hypocritical? Isn't that play acting? Isn't that a bad thing? It, it is what you're called to do. I wonder why we're called to do that. The, the traditional head, heart, hands. In, in the teaching world, we think of cognition, affection, and behavior. Each of those informs the other. So what we know affects what we love. As we know God more, we love God more. As we know our neighbors genuinely more, we love them more. Our choices start changing so that our behavior is different. So what starts in the head makes its way to the heart and works its way out. What we, what, what our affections are set on affect what our minds take in. Because as our affections are drawn closer and closer to God, we choose to study on things. We choose to have this word open. We choose to be with God's people to learn these things. And so it changes our mind. Our hearts can actually affect our minds, and it affects our behavior because our affections include our choices. And so we get... Okay. So the, the surprising thing in that is that your behavior changes both your cognition and your affection. As you do things, as you learn a new skill, you do something, you start praying for someone, you learn more, and, and it changes your heart. Yeah. So what we do 
if we pretend that today I'm just going to try to live like a perfect person would live, it actually changes you. So, and we're called to do that very thing, right? We're called to live that out even though we're not really that yet. God already sees us as righteous. We don't need to worry about earning our salvation, finding ways to please him so he'll, so he'll take us in. That's a done deal. That he, he said, yeah, you, I, I look at you, what I see is my son. So we are now free to actually live perfectly, pretending that we are anticipating when we will be. So within our families, if we're going to really practice this, if we're going to rehearse this perfection in our families, how do we help each other when somebody in the family is not actually living up to that perfection that you're pretending, that you're rehearsing ahead of time? How do we deal with that in the families? Sir? Uh-huh. I asked, what sin would you want to take? Yeah. Yeah. I love that connection. I love that connection. We, we as parents are modeling God for our children, and we tolerate sin. We excuse it. What's that do? When you excuse sin, what's that do? Yeah, they, they think less of God, think less of you, and think more about sin. Yeah, and how scary is that, that you would teach your kids that there's something in their lives that they might be able to hold on to even as they go into eternity. So as the church family, how do we handle it when somebody else around us who's, who's trying to, to practice the perfection that we're going to experience when they fail? You know, because... Every, I mean, statistically, every two or three years, each of you will fail. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, maybe it's more often than that. So how do we deal with that? As a church, how do we deal with people who are pretending, not, not pretending that they're perfect, like putting on their Sunday best and coming, oh, everything's fine, life is fine, I'm fine. But, but they're actually trying to live this out genuinely trying to live it out, how do we handle that as a church? How do we help them when they fall short? Grace. And why grace? Because <laughs> yeah, we, we experience nothing but grace from God, right? So, well, how can we do any less than that, okay? Well, do you have a second one? 
them. So in, in discipling them, you go back to God's work. Now, I thought discipleship was just something we do, like we, we set aside a time on Sunday night or Wednesday night for discipleship. Isn't, isn't that what? No. Uh, Matthew 28 says that is what the church is doing. All, all we do is disciple. Anything we do that's not discipling is wasted. Everything we do is discipling. So we disciple them. We, we, we show them grace and we disciple them. Right, but, but we're supposed to be proclaiming the word to one another, right? That, that is what we're doing. So the gospel isn't something we hear up until we're saved and then we don't need it anymore. The, the, it's not we hear a sermon from the pastor and that's all the preaching we need for the week. This is us talking to one another, right? We do it in songs. We do it in a lot of different ways. Right, we're not always correcting. In fact, discipling, discipline comes in two forms. Corrective discipline, when something's gone astray, but formative discipline. All the teaching we do is disciplining one another. That, that is discipline. We, we, are, we are helping form each other by disciplining one another. We're teaching, we're holding each other accountable, we're living genuine lives together, honest lives together without you know we, we've got to show grace because we can't say well man I can't believe you fell into that sin because if I look in the mirror it's like I can't believe that guy fell into that sin you know so we, we can't be judgmental but we can help form each other and then correct each other both of those are discipline which is discipleship that, that is discipleship so kind of following that up how how might we help each other not even think about sin because let, let me here, here's the, the classic the classic illustration clear your minds for just a minute now I do not want you to think about a purple elephant with orange spots okay so whatever you do don't think about a purple elephant with orange spots and what do you picture in your mind a purple elephant <laughs> with orange spots and if all we talk about is sin what do we think about so how might we then instead of always talking about sin sin is important I'm not saying we don't preach sin I'm not saying we, do, we, we are not a church that, that says you know sin something we just don't talk about but how can we advance beyond talking about sin to actually not even thinking about sin. How can we help each other do that? And so how do you do that? Practically, how do you, 
how do you take the focus off of sin and put it on Christ? says don't walk as Gentiles instead walk as Christians talk about how we walk as Christians don't talk about what the Gentiles are doing yeah yeah the, in the futility of their mind you want to follow him So how do we build those affections in one another? How do we build proper affections? Absolutely. It is not good for man to be alone. That that's not just husband and wife that God's talking about. It's not good for any of us to be alone. So so singles have to be in Christian community. Christian families need to be in Christian community. Let me ask this, are you more prone to sin when you're around other Christians who are trying to help you live that perfection that we're going to experience, or when you're all by yourself? When you're by yourself. So what's a really simple solution to <laughs> if, if I'm more prone to sin when I'm alone, what's a really simple solution? Come to, come to church. Be with other Christians. In fact, they were. Adam stood right there as she... That's why... That's why in Ephesians, we, we learn what they have to do. She, her, her man let her down, and every wife in here, her man has let her down, just like our first. But with one exception, 
<laughs> Except, oh, wait a minute, but no, we actually just pulled that witness from the stand. So, no, we'll go back to all. We, from the beginning of the problem in Genesis 3, this is the way it is. God has laid out a plan for us to be better. Next week, we're going to talk more about the church itself. Um, and so we'll back up to the beginning verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians. So this has been a strange way to study Ephesians, kind of starting in the middle of the exhortation and working our way out. But I really wanted to focus on the family first and then work back to how the church is going to do this. So next week we're going to talk about the church itself. And we'll see then from church, how are we impacting the family? What are we supposed to be doing? But the, the, the takeaways for me, just, just really being under conviction, is just don't spend a lot of time by yourself. There are times when you need to be alone with the Lord. Most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, that's just going to give you opportunity. Or if you're with other people who are going to hold you accountable, it's like, eh, I think I'm just not going to sin right now. I think... I think I'm going to put that off for just a little while. Maybe I'll just forget about it before I get around to actually doing it. So be with the people of God. If you're with the Gentiles, be testifying to them. Be witnessing Jesus Christ to them. Be picturing God to them. But when you're tempted, be with the people of God. He's given them to you for a reason. Let, let me pray for us, and then we will gather around uh, Brian and, and Heather and pray for them as they go on this journey this week. Father, thank you for another time in your word. Um, we just thank you for the community of believers that you have placed us in. We are built for community, and you have given us a beautiful one here. Thank you for First Baptist Church Fisherville and for each member of it. Thank you for each of these that have uh, come tonight. I just ask that as we go out that we would have the strength, that we would have the desire to practice our perfection to see what that might feel like when we uh, get to be in the very presence of our Lord. and We anticipate that day coming perhaps very soon. Until then, we just pray these things in his name and for his sake.